the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. I am Seth Leibson, and as we do every Monday at this time, we check in with Brandon J. Weikert. He is the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. He has another book that's coming out a year from now on China's Race to Control Our Life. And um, I don't know, Brandon, if uh, the segments I do with you are the most popular with the audience, but they sure rank up there. I get so many, uh, so much feedback from our interviews. You are, you are just the perfect man that we need for the the, the, the times we are in. So thank you for being well, with us. I don't know if you can say that in this day and age. Is it okay to identify as a male still? I well, as know. long as you know what it is, and I do, and I think most of my audience, if not all, I think we're okay. I think we're okay. Thank God. And I just want to give a shout out here. I just got a nice note from one of your listeners oh. on Twitter, a person by the, the handle of at Magda Lizzie. Oh, wonderful. Well, hello. Wonderful. And thank you for the kind words. Yeah, I know. Well, I get so much feedback. The only reason I don't send it to you is, uh, you know, we try and keep uh, our pride in check here a little bit. I was gonna say, I, you, don't want, you don't want my head to get too big. Yeah, I don't want to put a stumbling <laughs> block in front of your uh, continued efforts to uh, remain humble. How's that? <laughs> I just but, like to pretend I'm just yelling into the ether. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at, at least you know that uh, this isn't in vain, Brandon. I, I have a lot. Let's let's uh, let's work backwards a little bit. Okay. Saudi Arabia and the president's trip there. I have a. Uh, um, I have a headline from July 16th at at uh, at Reuters. Biden fails to secure major security oil uh, oil commitments at the summit. And I have a headline from the day before. Biden says Saudis will help lower gas prices. So right. Uh, right. I think we know what happened as a result. But your sense of how the trip to the Middle East went generally. One big dud. One big dud. Uh, it, it, it was. Um, it wasn't even that great of a show. Um, you know, Biden goes to the Middle East, um, refusing. We talked about this last week. Refusing to shake anybody's hand, uh, and of course, the one guy who manages in Israel to get a handshake photo op uh, with Biden, I believe, was Netanyahu, who, of course, is the guy that Biden wants nothing to do with. Uh, so well played by Bibi. Uh, and then, of course, we know that the Biden administration and his team are generally in favor of the uh, Obama-era nuclear agreement with Iran, restoring that. Uh, and uh, as soon as Biden leaves, the first thing that the Israeli government does is announce that they've never been closer to the United States and also that the, the senior IDF uh, leader comes out and says that Israel may have to, in the next 18 months, do a military strike on Iran if they don't stop their uh, illicit behavior. And then Biden treks over to uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, and, of course, you know, he doesn't want to shake hands with Mohammed bin Salman, the, the crown prince, there, because he spent the last three years calling him a butcher for the, the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. 
Uh, and Salman's laughing the entire time because ultimately he still got a photo op with the president, not shaking hands, but fist bumping. And then when the president uh, ends up going to the big roundtable discussion that the public, you know, they're, they're, they're sending live feeds of, uh, uh, Biden's talking, or I should say stuttering and slurring and stammering, uh, and all of the leaders in the room, all the Middle Eastern leaders, are uh, looking down at their phones. No one's listening. In fact, if you look, Brett McGurk, his senior Middle East envoy, is uh, behind him, and he's chit-chatting on his phone the whole time. Nobody's listening to our president, and it's because the president's not really there. I mean, he's physically there, but he's mentally not there. Everybody knows it. This was all just one big wasted time. This was a big show. Uh, that ultimately the players involved, they're taking what they want from. They're, they're folding and molding the narrative to whatever they wanted it to be because they know they have this sort of empty vessel as a president. And so even Biden, his big, you know, his big idea of a human rights foreign policy, and we're going to play nice with Iran and we're going to put Israel back, you know, on the path to having to work with the Palestinians again. Uh, none of that, none of what, is, what he said he wanted to do got done, which is probably for the best. Um, but, but he's just completely useless. He's the man who's not there. He further makes us look like we're weaker uh, under his reign, and he emboldens our enemies, uh, and he inspires, you know, the derision among our allies, which is never good, never good. One other thing, uh, you know, he went to Saudi Arabia by to try to get them to produce more oil. And they said they might produce a million more barrels, which they were already looking at doing before his trip. Ultimately, there's an issue with the science because ultimately there's a limit to their production capability. After a million barrels, that you know, more that they, they might do, they might not be able to do anymore. And a million barrels is nice, but it's not what we, that's not enough. Uh, and then also, um, it turns out that that Russian uh, energy, fossil fuel that we've been sanctioning, well, it turns out the Saudis are receiving it, and it sounds like they're going to end up repackaging that Russian energy with the Saudi seal, and they're going to sell it to us that way. So ultimately, uh, Russia is again proving it's the true kingmaker in the Middle East and making us look horrible in the process. Oh, my gosh. It's a, it's, it's a kettle of fish I don't even know where to start with. Uh, <laughs> and, and there's one more I'll throw in the pond. I know you and I plan to talk about this today. We will. Uh, there was another announcement that came immediately on the heels of Joe Biden returning, which was Iran saying it has the nuclear capability now to. Right. to so hold that right. one because that's that's a biggie, and I want to spend a and moment on that. Away what they want from that meeting because he's the empty vessel. He's the man who's not there, so they can say and do whatever they want and impute what they want from his trip. Because he's nothing. He's done nothing. Do you he's remember, useless. Brandon? Hey, Brandon, do you remember the days? Yeah. They aren't that long ago. They're, they, they've, <laughs> do you remember the days when people used to treat the king of Saudi Arabia the way everyone treated Biden, yes. whether it was King yes, Abdulaziz exactly. or the was, current was, one? Yeah. Right? Aged, out of touch. Right. They don't matter. Yeah. I mean, that's yes, that matter. we they used to. Joe Biden in Saudi Arabia is being treated the way the rest of the world used to treat the kings of Saudi Arabia. That's right. Yeah. 100%. And real quick, Brett McGurk, the guy behind, he was too sitting to the, the right side of Biden in that speech. He was too back. He's the head of the NSC's Middle East uh, uh, group. He is uh, a virulent never Trumper. Um, he's one of James Madison's favorite guys, actually. Uh, but, but he is the real guy driving, supposedly, Biden's foreign policy. And I actually 
in the Middle East. And I actually don't disagree with most of what McGurk wants to do, except for the whole make nice with Iran. But if you saw, they were all deferring to McGurk, the people in the room, and they were completely ignoring uh, Biden when he was giving a presidential address, which should tell you Biden is not in charge. It's not even Biden's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan. It's some mid-level guy from Stanford who's actually running Middle East policy. We didn't elect this guy. This guy's like three degrees removed from an election. This is nuts. Brandon, um, I I literally don't know what your answer will be to the question I'm going to ask, but... I will tell you, when I was spending a lot of time dealing with issues having to do with radical Islam and Wahhabism and focus on Saudi Arabia was so big in the in the in the early and mid 2000s, someone I had come to really dislike a whole bunch was Adel al-Jaber. He is still around. He's a a spokesman for the Saudi Arabia. He may have changed. I don't know. I guess this is what I'm asking you. But he has caught he has uh, contradicted almost everything Joe Biden said he said. To MBS, yeah. and I got to tell you, for as much for as much as I don't like Adel Al Jaber, I'm thinking in this case he might have been right. Oh, absolutely! Well, Jaber is a wily, seasoned diplomatic player. He has been in the game for a long time. He understands it. I respect the gamesmanship. I've seen him in action before. This is not a guy you want to be caught off guard with because he knows how to manipulate situations. This is a guy who is now attacking Biden from the left. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's incredible to see his comments to CNN a couple days ago about about the Green New Deal and basically how Biden is not even serious about that. Why is Biden coming to (laughs) us? You know, I mean, this is the stuff of like, this is brilliant. I mean, I can't help but to tip my head at the guy because he knows exactly how to play naive Western liberals of the sort who are running this country. And the reason he's doing that is because ultimately he's trying to stay ingratiated with the powerful people here so that Saudi Arabia is never cut off from the United States. And so it's a very good manipulative game, but it shows you how pathetic and frankly stupid the Biden people are that they don't see how they're being gamed. Hold that thought right there. Hold that thought right there, because that that naturally gets us to the announcement that should have our hair on fire from Iran. Um, Let's pick up on that point when we come right back and that issue as well, along with some listener emails that uh, were sent to me for you. We are talking to Brandon J. Weikert. He's a columnist, Asia Times, The Washington Times. He is the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. And probably mostly for our purposes today, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, which you can pre-order right now at your favorite online bookseller. I'm Seth, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Leapson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He, among other books, he is the author of Among Other Books. Let's get the nouns and preps right. The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. Brandon, right before the break, you talked about uh, our allies even laughing at us. Um, It's bad enough when our enemies do, too. I have what headline do you want to work off of? CBS, Iran claims technical ability to build a nuclear bomb. Do you want the New York Post? Iran brags it has the technical means to produce the nuclear bomb. I mean, all of this just three days after Joe Biden comes back from the Middle East. By the way. By the way, 
No scheduled events today with everything going on. Not one. Of course not. He, he needs to sleep it off. I mean, this is this was a very, very tough go for a man of his age with his debilitation. Clearly it is. I'm worried about the debilitation of the rest of the world due to lack of American leadership. I don't want a rogue country getting a nuclear bomb. I don't want well, a rogue country to engage right. in terrorism. It seems like right. both are on the upswing. That's right. And I think it's very critical to understand that Iran already has rudimentary capabilities. Uh, it's a question of do they have the mass production capability and do they have the sophistication to miniaturize what they've got, as even North Korea can now do, uh, to place those weapons atop reliable, do they even have reliable intercontinental ballistic missiles? Um, and this is, by the way, why their space program is so important to them in Iran, because that's a backdoor way of testing ICBM rocket claiming that they are in fact for their space program, um, but but they, but but the, the the issue the real issue is if the Biden and Democrat overall Democratic Party objective of ultimately making Islamist Iran uh, integrated into the world system the way we integrated China into the world system in the 1970s. If they are able to achieve that, which is ultimately their objective, regardless of what they're saying now, you remember two days ago, Biden came out and was basically wagging his finger at Iran, saying if you, you don't play nice, basically Israel and, and the Sunnis are going to have their way and we're going to be allied with them. That is all for show, because the real objective is the complete restoration of Obama's nuclear agreement. Uh, coupled with the complete integration of the Islamic Republic of Iran into the wider world trading and economic system, the normalization of ties, as we did with the Chinese Communist Party. And if that is to happen, if that does occur, all, all of the limitations on their nuclear weapons program that they have now is gone, and they will have what's known as a surge capability. They will have the ability to just rapidly build out and modernize and enhance those weapon systems, and I can guarantee you, they are not going to just sit back and, and do business with the Americans and the Europeans. They are then going to use that as an excuse, as a sign of weakness, and they're going to launch the mother of all assaults on Israel, on the Sunnis, their religious rivals for control of the Muslim world, and ultimately on the United States. It is going to be uh, a bloodbath. This is, think, think about and I, I, don't, I don't like to always bring this comparison, but in the case of Iran, it's very true. Think about Hitler in, in the 1930s. Everybody thought this was a guy we could do business with. This guy just wants to reclaim basically what he lost in the First World War. It's all for show, the crazy parts. He's making the trains run on time. You know, don't mind the, the rumors coming out about what he's doing to the people um, and, and what his real ambitions are. Well, just like Hitler, the Ayatollah and his, his mullahs have been very clear for decades what they intend. And that is as soon as they get the opportunity, they're going to wage the mother of all wars of, uh, against their neighbors in the name of their God, in the name of their, their Messiah, uh, the Mahdi. And they are not going to stop until they get that. And they're going to use nukes as the Sharia-approved way of war. You just watch. This is a very nightmare scenario we are headed into. You know, there's a there's another uh, analog from slightly more recent history uh, in 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 the nature of a quip about the 1964 presidential election, where the guy said, "I was told 
if I uh, if I if I didn't vote for Johnson, we would expand the war in Vietnam. I did, and we did. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people in 2020 were saying we're going to have to vote for Joe Biden because Donald Trump is responsible for Iran yeah. increasing its nuclear capabilities. They did, and they did. Uh, this is the this is the argument these days, though, in the political sphere, Brandon, that it's because of Donald Trump's canceling of the JCPOA yeah. that Iran. This is a lie. But well, I mean, it is because for two it's years, Joe lie. Biden has been begging to meet with them and try and restore right. it. And they keep giving him the well, finger. It's also important to remember that the sanctions, the maximum pressure campaign that the Trump administration subjected Iran to drained Iranian reserves. In 29, by 2019, after a year and a half of being under the Trump sanctions, the Iranian regime was teetering on the brink, and they had massive nationwide protests. You and I talked about this at the time. This was yep. right before COVID. Yep. And then COVID hit, and it made everything worse there. The problem was the Washington leadership changed. And then all of a sudden, all the sanctions, yes, we still have them imposed, but we were letting others work around the sanctions. We were looking the other way while the Europeans were doing things under the table. We were giving money. People don't know this, but in the last year, we've given hundreds of millions of dollars to Iran, which under Biden, most certainly the Iranians have repurposed for terrorism purposes, for their illegal war in Syria and their war from Lebanon against Israel. And so so under Trump, that would stop. And we've had the pressure, maximum pressure on Iran. Under Trump, the, the Israelis and the Sunni Arabs led by the Saudis were working together in ways militarily that no one thought was possible. And that all sort of slowed down when Biden became president. And that is a real sad, tragic thing, because it's a lot like the Allies in 1939 just barely missing the ability to come together and stop the Nazis from growing, uh, which almost happened in 1939, if not for the, the, the French uh, passing out of that. There's a great book called 1939. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, the argument same that the checks and the polls could have done something if they yes. were given the... Yeah, same thing yeah, here. Yeah. Same thing here. Under Trump's leadership, the Israelis and the Sunni Arabs were standing up like never before to contain Iran without going to war, without starting another war. And now it's all gone to pot. It's all going to pot. You know... Um, Here's uh, food for thought as we head into the break, Brandon. Maybe we can pick up on it. Uh, we've talked a little bit about this in the past. It's it's relevant again uh, because of a column. Uh, I don't know if you read uh, Mary Anastasio Grady, uh, but a column she had. Yeah, in today's Wall Street Journal, she covers the Americas. Uh, Michael Ledine used to say the nuclear thing with Iran is one thing. The terrorism is just as bad. And you look at what Iran is doing in Venezuela, where they just signed a 20-year cooperation agreement with each other. You look at the Anastasio Grady article today, which I don't think anyone is aware of. What the hell is Iran doing in Argentina? And, you know, that's... That's on the Ladine side. About it after the yeah, break. let's let's yeah, please. I would love it. I'm and I'm, and then we'll get to listener emails to you. I'm Seth Leipson. He is Brandon Weicker. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, it's a very active Twitter feed. We the Brandon. We like you know plural of I the like the definite article. Brandon. We the Brandon. I'm Seth Leipson. He's Brandon Weicker. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Brandon J. Weikert, author, columnist, um, and um, 
public intellectual on particularly foreign policy, though we do a lot of domestic with him as well as our guest. Brandon uh, Weichert spells his name W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. Sometimes people ask me uh, for that, Brandon. Um, I was mentioning this column by Mary Anastasia O'Grady in part because I like saying that name. I mean, you got to admit, Brandon Weikert and Seth Liebson don't have the same ring as Mary Anastasia O'Grady. But she writes this very haunting column today in the Wall Street Journal about a story that seems to be getting covered up a ton. Iran's suspicious flights to Argentina. We know about the Venice. I don't know if we know about the Venezuela coordination, but they've been doing flights, of course, to Venezuela. And now they just signed a pact with Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Um the terrorism mm-hmm. aspect. Forget the nuclear for a moment. Talk to us about Iran and what it's trying. Well, the subtitle of your book is Quest for Supremacy. I guess this yeah. is how you do it. Well, first of all, I, I, I want to talk about the overall Iranian threat in, in Latin America because it's, it's meshed with the terrorism threat. And the reason, the reason I say that is because if you look at what Iran is doing, the way that it funds terrorism, Hezbollah in particular, or the Houthi rebels in Yemen, and the way that they then pair that funding uh, of terror groups, proxy groups, in regions outside of its direct border, um, I, in this case the Houthis or the, the Hez- or Hezbollah in Lebanon against Israel, uh, they then give weapons like drones and, and pre- precision-guided missiles uh, to those groups, for those groups to then sort of you know, have free reign of terror uh, on you know, the Houthis from Yemen on the Saudis, uh, Hezbollah and Hamas, uh, Hezbollah from Lebanon, Hamas from Gaza on Israel. And all of that over the course of many years degrades and weakens, the, they think, the ability of those countries targeted to effectively resist Iranian uh, push for supremacy. Now look at a map. You see Iran it, is situated in the Middle East. But if you were to look Across to the left, across the Atlantic Ocean, on that same sort of plane is Latin America. Mm -hmm. And Latin America has been, since the 80s, a key point of interest for Iran. You see, Iran we consider to be a medium or small power with uh, unrealistic objectives, with grand objectives that it can't possibly match, sort of like how we viewed Mussolini's Italy. Uh, But in fact... Uh, unlike the Italians in World War II, uh, Iran has a truly global reach thanks to their uh, front organizations, thanks to their support of terrorism, uh, notably Hezbollah. And what we find is that since the 1980s, uh, Iran has been very heavily involved in uh, uh, South uh, American politics. And they've been escalating in that domain for decades. Um, we've ignored that domain. In fact, the former head of the, I think his name was Emerald Kidd, uh, the former, former head under Trump of U.S. Southcom, which is the part of the U.S. military that sort of oversees uh, Latin America and Mexico, uh, he warned Congress in 2017 that it's the only part of the world Latin America is that connects to the United States by land borders, and most of which we have no active defenses against. Because we just assume that it's this sort of backward, non-threatening area. But, of course, now our enemies are exploiting that vulnerability deftly, not just the Chinese. I never want to hear backward, backwater area again from someone who's trying to assure me of confidence. Uh, No one one knew what Kabul was in 1999. Absolutely. You're correct about that. Yes. 
Um, and so Iran has been very heavily invested in destabilizing South America. Uh, not every, Many people probably know about Iran's closeness with Venezuela, uh, but it's not just Venezuela. Uh, they have been heavily involved through Hezbollah, as well as the Iranian Revolution, which is their elite group, General Qasem Soleimani, the man that Trump assassinated beautifully in, uh, two years ago, uh, was the commander for years of, of the IRGC. Um, they have been heavily involved in destabilizing the tri-border area in South America, and that's the area in the middle of, the Baptist area in the middle of South America where Paraguay, Uruguay, and um, I believe Peru? Yeah. No, uh, Par- is it Argentina or Peru? Yeah, Par- Par- um, Paraguay, Uruguay, yeah, and, and Argentina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so where, where they meet. And they've been destabilizing that. They've been heavily involved in narco-trafficking, narco-terrorism. FARC in Colombia is heavily subsidized and does business with Iran. Uh, in fact, in 2008, the Andean diplomatic crisis that erupted between Venezuela, Colombia, and Ecuador, which saw almost Chavez's Venezuela and Ecuador go to war with our good friend Colombia, well, that was all precipitated partly because FARC, was giving, being given refuge by Venezuela, and FARC was in the process of harvesting uranium from the rainforest to sell to Iran's nuclear weapons program. Hold that thought, Brandon, right there. Quick break. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by my good friends at Y-Refi. They're offering a unique investment opportunity. It's a fixed, no-load interest rate, up to 10.25% return for investors, all in a secure, collateralized portfolio. Y-Refi is a due diligence-approved firm. It's run by great people who are doing really well by doing good for others, and you can be to check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, and then refy.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087. You can visit them. They're here locally based. And uh, you won't get a sales pitch. They'll just uh, tell you uh, about what it is that they do and let it speak for itself. Brandon J. Weicker is our guest. Uh, Brandon, one of the uh, one of the points that we're talking about as um, – as we're talking about the menacing actions of Iran with the announcement of its nuclear capabilities, as we're now just trying to appreciate yet another country in South America they are working in, namely Argentina. Uh, one of the other things that's kind of kind of getting a little bit below the ra- radar and maybe a little bit below the criticism of the Biden administration, where I think it actually lies, is that Russia, Russia, uh, Putin, Vladimir Putin, who who hardly travels out of the country, is now planning to go visit Iran himself, right? This, this now, now most of the world that listens to Joe Biden uh, should have understood uh, by now, if they have ears to hear or eyes to read, that Russia is the worst country in the world. If you listen to Joe Biden. <laughs> So yeah, the worst course, country yeah. in the world is now in alliance with Iran, a country we're supposed right. to be doing appeasing deals with. Work that right. one out for me. Why do yeah. you think Putin's well, going to Iran? Well, it's very simple. Iran has, since 1980s, Iran has been a client of Russia. Uh, and Iran is basically a colony of both Russia and China. It is an essential component of the rising Eurasian order that it was meant to destroy the American-led order that was created in 1945. Um, I'd like to also just quickly say 
as a kind of a final thought on the South America discussion, the reason I had brought up the missiles uh, that Iran was sending to uh, Yemen and Lebanon for their proxies to use against Saudi Arabia and Israel, respectively, is because for the last several years they have tried repeatedly to move those same kinds of missiles Iran has into South America so that those medium-range missiles can then be used to target the United States and threaten us a la the Cuban Missile Crisis. Only this time, we're not going to have a leadership that has the gumption to stand up to Iran and make them get those missiles out or to physically remove those missiles. That's why I brought that up. As for Russia, Russia is a basically one of two owners of the Iranian regime, the other being Beijing. Uh, Russia last year attempted to sell, and I might have spoken to you about this last week, uh, attempted to sell a sophisticated satellite yes. to Iran. Yes. yes, that would have been used to control Iran's growing sophisticated uh, drone fleet, which are copied off of pil- pilloried, uh, U- or pilfered U.S. technology, uh, that would have been used to control those systems farther away from Iran to allow them to operate longer, more efficiently, and be deadlier to U.S. and allied forces in the region. We stopped it barely, but I suspect it's going to go through that deal eventually. Also, as you know, the Iranians are trying to sell these very complex, sophisticated drones of theirs to the Russians so that Russia can deploy them against the Ukrainians. Uh, and that, I believe, is the real reason that Putin's flying to Tehran to finalize that deal and to send a signal to the Americans that your days in the region are numbered. We stand with nuclear arming Iran. And if you want to push them around America, you're going to have to go through us. You know, it's a weird thing. You've studied this and got graduate degrees in this business of foreign relations. I, I think I think I think I think I'm right to say this. But when you have major powers visiting other countries, it's usually because they want something from that other country. Usually you think about Arafat going to these countries. You think about Putin. You think about us going to Saudi Arabia because the normal formality of these things is that the lesser comes to the bigger. But when the big travels to the lesser, it's because they want something. Putin wants something from Iran. We now know what it is. That's right. Partly, yes. And also, you know, it just shows you how irrelevant we are. Right. right? I that's, mean, that's, here we are. That's the, the wholesale problem. Backer, yeah. Right. The biggest backer of Russia's number one enemy right now, Ukraine, is the United States. It isn't NATO. It's the United States. And then the NATO is also augmenting that. But without us, there is no Ukrainian resistance. And yet you would, you would think that Moscow would be begging to come to the table and try to get the Americans to stop and try to work with us, realizing that we've got, you know, we're not going to stop if they keep beating their chest at us. Well, the exact opposite is going on. Mr. Putin feels so emboldened, and he's so unthreatened by Mr. Biden and the leadership in Washington today that he's not even trying to come to us anymore. He's just going to our enemies. He's going to Iran. He's going to, you know, he, he's going to Turkey. He's going to all these countries without us. He doesn't care because Biden and the Democrats have made us irrelevant. Not Trump. Not Trump, the supposed isolationist. It's Biden and the Democrats yeah. who yeah. made us irrelevant. And 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 our footprint looking so weak, our trumpet sounding so dim, 
that even in Colombia we're seeing reversals to socialism, aren't we, when we look to Central and South America? I mean, yes, it's, we're losing yeah. South America. Yeah. We're but, losing it. Yeah. And it's ironic. It's and ironic. and it's, it's, it's ironic that Iran is flying in to, to, to capitalize yeah. on that. Of course they are. They yeah. are working with the Cubans. They're working with uh, even the North Koreans. They're working with uh, the Russians and the Chinese to exploit Latin America. And furthermore, what does it say when Mexico who supposedly was, you know, hated Trump, and they elected in Trump's last year, AMLO, who's an outright socialist. Right. AMLO hates Biden. Yeah. AMLO can't stand him. He misses Trump. Yeah. AMLO was the last foreign leader to recognize Biden's win in 2020. He was he refused when he, everybody thought he should have been the first one because he liked doing business with Trump. Yeah. He, I mean, what does that say about how bad Biden is? Yeah. The whole region below us is running into the arms of our enemies. The, the one guy who should have been leading the pack, the socialist AMLO, is like, yeah, no, I miss Trump. Yeah, whole, yeah. Know, yeah. Mean, wouldn't even show up at a Biden summit. Is. Wouldn't even show up right. at a summit where Biden tried to meet him in a proximity closer to him, right. based on my other point about going to people you want That's things right. from. Um, right. I have an email that looks smart, and you're going to tell me if it is or isn't on the other side of this break in our well, short it's one segment. one of your audience members, I'm sure it's very small. Yes, yes. I, I guess what I meant is that it's citing an essay that I think is smart, an essay by David Goldman. That's what I wasn't sure about. And I think you know this essay. It's two kinds of detente. Could you say a word? Can we geek yes, out in our yes. last – sometimes people yes. like it when we go that direction. I'm Seth Liebson. Brandon Weikert coming right up, uh, coming right back on – Two kinds of detente. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Delighted to have Brandon Weikert with us as we do for the whole hour today. Uh, the Shadow War, Ron's Quest for Supremacy, is what you want to be pre-ordering right now. He was kind to release a little bit of it on Twitter uh, precisely because of our conversation. So you can check him out at We the Brandon or look at my retweet to get a sense of it. Got an email uh, from a listener, a smart listener, mm -hmm. uh, Brandon, who was asking about a piece by David Goldman, whom I know you yeah. know you know well. Uh, yeah. Are we um, are we in a situation where our major weapon systems here at the U.S. may be at risk of a quick defeat? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I wrote about this. I've written about this as well for years uh, with David at the Asia Times. I've written about this. I had an article last year. Uh, called the uh, America Builds Its Imaginal Line in Space. Right. The Dallas Morning right. News. We caught, we and I think we, we talked about that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, we have created a potential force, I think, um, that doesn't factor in the real threat that China poses to our forces and our allies closer to their shores. We're very good about sort of looking at things globally, but we don't actually focus on the, the area of the threat. And China has. China has developed missile systems that are capable of overwhelming the, the defense systems on our aircraft carriers, on our warships, uh, that, you know, can, can completely sink them and damage them and make them, you know, useless to us in a time of war. Um, and so we do not have a good handle on this. And we've been bluffing for the better part of 15 years, at least, that we can still do the things uh, that the Chinese used to fear we could do to them, we've been bluffing. Uh, and the Chinese are getting ready very soon to call our bluff. This is to say nothing of their very rapid development of hypersonic missiles. You know, we just had, for the first time, a successful hypersonic missile test in the last week 
But then the head of the Air Force acquisitions team came out and was basically saying, yeah, I still don't get it. I still don't see what the big deal is. I don't think we need to be giving too many more resources to this thing. Meanwhile, China is building out their hypersonic weapons systems to such a degree that their hypersonic weapons systems can be launched into space, orbit the Earth indefinitely, and then come down on any target on, on the planet. They tested this last summer can come down on any target on the planet, and our, our current national defenses cannot stop the hypersonic missile attack. They move too fast for our air defense systems. So China's got our number, and it's going to be very soon when they call our bluff, and it's going to be very ugly when they do. And, and so David Goldman is correct. Now, he cites in that article my other colleague, Albert Colby, who is a hawk on China, and I think I think Elbridge is correct about what he says about a war with Taiwan being started soon, and I think he's right to want to stand up to China now. But we better start developing the weapons and the systems and the doctrines needed to actually address the threat, which is high tech, and we are not doing that. Country Joe and the Fish played at Woodstock. The refrain of their song is, Whoopee, we're all going to die. You want to stay alive, listen to Brandon J. Weikert. You want to stay alive as a country, you bet it. You bet, brother. You bet. You've earned it. God bless you and Godspeed until next week, unless we have to break the glass and pull the lever and call you in between now and then. I'm ready. All right, brother. I know you are. I'm Seth Liebson. Dr. Catherine Coleman coming right up. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.